0: Hey everyone, this is Sid Finkelstein and welcome back to the Sidcast and a new episode today. Uh, I want you to think about this for a second. Imagine that you um, have a a nice uh, apartment or house or condo that you want to sell and uh, and you think, well, you know, we, we can do an open house and just have people come by, which is not exactly a new idea, or maybe we could do something really radical. Uh, for example, let's imagine you have this kind of cool looking condo. You're in New York City and it's got a great view and uh, and it's going for a few million dollars. Uh, and you decide to not just stage the condo in the way that real estate agents occasionally do, but you actually set up a, a dinner party in the condo and you invite handpicked picked Influencers that are going to come to the dinner party that are going to have dinner right there in that condo that's for sale. They don't own it. They don't know the other people that are going to be there. They get a tour of the condo at the same time as there's a catered and fancy dinner. They get to hang out with other cool people, and then they go and uh, tell everyone about their amazing experience. What do you think about that as a way to sell a a condo or, or or a house for that matter? Well, that idea is jessica Wolf's idea and Jessica's our guest today, and she is a millennial that thinks um, well to say that she thinks outside of the box would be kind of silly because that uh, that expression is, is is probably older than she is, so that wouldn 't make a lot of sense she is uh, she 's someone that really understands the power of communities the power of of networks, and how so many of us have this this hunger for for a connection everyone 's busy in their in their lives with work with uh, um with family life sometimes you know if you have a family and kids etc and and uh what what we really want uh on top of all those other wonderful things is we want to connect with people we want to interact with people and not just in a casual kind of networking dinner when you know you have your little little badge on that says you know my name is Sid and I work here and maybe we could uh, we could talk for a minute Uh, but to have a real conversation kind of like what what we're doing here on the Sidcast, except doing it with a much, much bigger audience, much bigger group of people in in person with uh, hundreds, if not thousands of people. And through the internet, I suppose you could do it in with millions of people. But um, having this type of connection is is something we all we all want it's uh, it 's about a human connection it 's even about an intellectual uh, connection and Jessica has been a uh, an innovator and a leader in exactly this type of business in a variety of different ways Her own startup uh, partnering with other people and uh, doing this now for Forbes magazine in their thirty under thirty, and maybe some of the other groups they have as well. Uh, you know, when I think about the power of community and networks, it's, it's kind of like part of the experience economy. You know, we could buy whatever we want. You know, we have enough money. We could buy whatever we want. We can get the product we want. But what people want, I know this is definitely true for, for me, is we're looking for experiences. We we value experiences. We we want to uh, we want to live. We want to interact, and and the and the experiences that are the most energizing, the most exciting. Well, they're going to involve other people that are interesting, that could teach us something, that could share something, that we can interact with in some way. And uh, it's really a. a, a uh, a fantastic kind of um, um, model to think about. How do you how do you monetize that? How do you create that? How do you tap into this tremendous need that people have for uh, for for experiences and for um, for communities and for networks? and uh, And my guest today on the on the Sidcast, uh, Jessica Wolf has. Uh, um, has started her uh, her young career in doing exactly this, and has uh, accomplished a, a tremendous amount just by being uh, innovative and being being unafraid to ask uh, ask questions. I was thinking about all of these things as I was taking the subway downtown in New York to meet uh, to meet with uh, with Jessica, uh, and just thought, boy, this is uh, this is going to be a great conversation. And I hope you find uh, you find it is a great conversation, Jessica Wolf. Welcome back to the Sidcast. I'm here with Jessica Wolf in New York City. Hi, Jessica.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. Uh, have you done
1: a lot of podcasts? Oh, this is my first ever podcast.
0: First ever. I'm excited. We're in New York and there's some interesting sound, sound effects. We're in a restaurant that currently is empty. I suspect <laughs> that will not stay that way for yeah. long. Uh, but that's all part of the uh, part of the scene. Yeah. So uh, lots of things I want to uh, I want to talk to you about and talk with you, uh, Jessica. Starting with a thing you did, I guess, after you graduated from college, called v- Vivon. Am I yes, getting that right? Correct. So what what is it?
1: Sure. So shortly after graduating Dartmouth in uh, 2014, I um, took position leading membership for the first ever luxury co-working space called Neue House. And while I was there, I recognized that you know, people were buying these very high-priced memberships because of the promise of community. I tested out a few different models and recognized that if I promised very thoughtful, curated introductions within their first week of purchase, they, they would sign up immediately. And so I thought, okay, if I it if applies to the real estate co-working space, why wouldn't this exact model as a meaning community as a tool for sales tool, frankly, why wouldn't it apply elsewhere?
0: Because it's not ordinarily a sales tool, is it? It's just a place to work, and people are doing all kinds of gigs and startups, and just need an office away from home sometimes.
1: Exactly, but you know, it was it was this revolutionizing the office because it was a place for you to network and to build really meaningful. personal relationships, but also all the business connections you might need. Is
0: is that actually a premise of WeWork and all the others?
1: Very similar to WeWork. um, Slightly different demographic. uh, Mm -hmm. To give you an idea, membership at Neuhaus is about $1,500 a month, whereas at WeWork for an office, it's around $700. So So it's
0: double, really. Yeah. So what do you get for double the money?
1: A lot. (laughs) 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 you would get a very invite only group of individuals who would likely help you grow in your business. Mm-hmm. Um, an outrageously delicious cafe, um, really thoughtful programming, mm-hmm. content, um, and in a very, very luxury designed space by David Rockwell. So that was Neuhaus, and, and that was really the inspiration for the start of Yvonne. I was there, I was recognizing that sales were, were moving quickly when I wasn't just selling the space or the desk or any of the furniture, and, but really this luxury experience with this elite group of creatives. And so I was thinking, okay, let's look at other industries. And I recognized that the real estate open house model was antiquated. Yeah. Um, brokers would hand out flyers. People would tour the house for two seconds and throw it out and leave. Yeah. So yeah. I had been looking for an apartment at the time and for fun would go to the ultra-luxury <laughs> um, uh, apartments for $10 million and above just to see what was happening. And the experience was the same across the board, whether you're at a studio or at a luxury development. So I decided to change that. And so what I did was take that very same model from Neuhaus, that promise of community, and apply it to the sort of brokerage model. And so what would happen is I would pitch developers and say they have several apartments coming on the market for $10 million or over. And I would say I'll drive leads to your space and gain you over 2 million views and exposure, whether that's through press or social media, in three hours.
0: In three hours? Yeah. Two million million views?
1: Yeah, views, whether that be through an article that came out the next day or through likely social media that evening. Right. And so what I would host is these really... um, Thoughtful, meaningful gatherings over dinner that were themed, that had an element of entertainment, and a very um, thoughtfully put together group of people who I thought would benefit from meeting each other. And that was across all industries. But, of course, there was a big uh, focus on that social media influencer who could guarantee sort of the, the views of the apartment in a short amount of time, which was Significantly more yeah, than a few right. people walking so in.
0: You you were the social media influencer in this model, or you brought people in as well, or a little yeah. bit of both.
1: I'm definitely not a social media influencer, <laughs> but <laughs> um, but um, I, I use my network to bring. And
0: free. they would come to these dinners, for example.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: And they would they pay anything for this?
1: Yes, they would. So it was ticketed, mm. and then I, I also made money through sponsorship. Uh, I had some pretty big sponsors, and then um, the. The, these apartments that I was hosting in, mm-hmm. um, I would also uh, get subsidized partly through them. So it was actually making quite a, mon- a lot of money um, and <laughs> gaining a lot of press. So it was exciting.
0: Yeah, and so for the real estate agents, they they would be, I mean, it would be a beautiful apartment they're trying to sell, and you're putting on a dinner in the place. So they must have been a little worried at some point at the oh, beginning. Oh,
1: definitely. Yeah, that was actually my one of my biggest hurdles. Um, my biggest hurdle was letting me. Uh, convincing developers and brokers to let me use these so what, ultra luxury spaces. what was spaces. your
0: pitch? How would they convince you? Because you're you're Ooh. quite young. Yeah. And there, real estate in New York is a world onto its own.
1: Yeah. In fact, actually, everyone told me that I had no chance and that no one would ever let me host that, something that's the in their apartment. Entrepreneurial classic entrepreneurial story. Classic. Right? Even my parents, who are entrepreneurs themselves, they're yeah. like, "Who would ever let you host people?" Yeah, in crazy idea, Crazy, Jessica. crazy idea. Um, so I just started actually going to. Um, parties, PR parties, where I knew a lot of mm. developers would mm-hmm. be, mm-hmm. and frankly, you know, once the brokers got packed past this fear of hosting people in the space, they recognized how much business this was going to bring them, and yeah. it did. I landed the front page of the New York Times, I was in Harper Bazaar, I was in La Repubblica, so this brought them quite a lot of press, yeah, yeah. and and almost at half the prices maybe what they'd pay a marketing firm. So, um, how did I convince them? I... I practice my pitch in front of the mirror and had it down <laughs> yeah. and then I would just boldly approach I, I researched all the developers knew what they looked like knew what top brokers mm-hmm. who they were and I'd approach them at parties
0: and they would give you the time yeah they some. would that can't be all of them but some
1: well, most people listened
0: they, they listened mm-hmm. face to face face to face and uh so what so they they didn't all. I mean did they say yes right away some of them uh, like in the early days I mean nobody wants to be first in case you know you're this kind of crazy person who ends up trashing apartments and
1: <laughs> nobody knows. It's true I actually have to shout out to the broker who gave me the first opportunity yeah. Vicky Barron who as uh, top broker I just just moved to Compass from Douglas Elliman and I pitched her over the phone first and she mm-hmm. said come meet me yeah. come to this event. Mm-hmm. Um, and she I think just took just took a leap of faith really. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. uh, she recognized it went well the first time. And
0: so who would it. you invite to these dinners?
1: So I tried to do um, sort of mix of industries. Um, a lot of, sort of magazine editors, social media influencers, mm-hmm. uh, tech founders, um, artists, people across all different spheres. So it was mm-hmm. interesting for you at dinner to meet someone new.
0: Yeah. And so these people meet interesting people ordinarily. So I'm still trying to figure this out. I mean, I, I Maybe. get it. I get it at a certain level because I think there's actually a really deep unmet need that you saw, and that a lot of the work you're doing, it will get to, yeah. uh, has to do with that. But still, you know, if you're if you're a tech entrepreneur, you're a social media influencer, um, you're successful in your in your sphere in your area, and you got you got your network, and you really need to go to a like, dinner in somebody's apartments for sale to meet. New people and to have that type of uh, experience. The answer is yes, because they did it. But I still want to understand how. What, what, was, what was what was in their heads?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. You actually kind of just said the answer right there. You were saying, you know, they have their network, mm-hmm. but what about the people outside their network? Mm-hmm. And yes, when you're successful, and um, you have a group of people that um, you spend most of your time with, it doesn't mean that you're branching out necessarily. Yeah. Um. So I think. Um, five years ago, the dinner series was uh, kind of an, a, a new phenomenon. Now everyone has a dinner series, which is great. Everyone's um,
0: doing it in real estate, in particular. Or
1: um, now, actually, there's quite a few dinner series in real estate. I think yeah. the, the idea took off after we sort of so, broke in other ground. Words,
0: many people copied your idea. Yeah. Which is always what happens. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so that's why you got to keep st- taking a couple of steps ahead. Any good idea will get copied many times, and people say, "Well, that's flattering," but when it's your idea. Hmm. I'd rather just be the one doing it, but
1: being yeah, able to true. build
0: that barrier to entry as the economists say, making it difficult is very uh, challenging.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, I think there's something exciting about going to dinner with strangers, Yeah. and yeah. I think the difference was that it was a promise that you were going to be coming to this outrageously beautiful apartment, and that's unique. Mm-hmm. You can go to dinner with friends out, you can go mm-hmm. to someone's Sure, nice apartment here but sure. it's not often that you're going to these ultra luxury apartments frankly most of them were in buildings that were not done yet so you'd wear hard hats through the building really? this was the one oh, apartment cool. that was done so it was a lot of like preview mm-hmm. and a lot of exclusive access
0: yeah you know that I mean I do I do get it it's yeah. it's not exactly the same but when um, uh, the last book I wrote was Bosses, and I'm friends with um, Stephen Roth who's a very big benefactor yes. from Vernado who I'm sure you know of course and um, and he, um, he let us use one floor in one of his buildings that um, was actually was being renovated. It was going to be for rent for another tenant, and there was a tenant that had moved out. And a lot of people came. We didn't wear the hard hats, but a lot yeah. of people came because that's a pretty cool, it's cool venue. Yeah, it's yeah. unique. It's unique. And um, so did people buy apartments uh, on the basis of this? I mean,
1: You know, I, I think at the time I, I was focused on sort of the... the launching and i, mm-hmm. I didn't think long term about the mm-hmm. analytics and collecting data yeah, yeah. and following and 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 perhaps the processes i need to put in place to see if the the model is actually effective mm-hmm. um, so i'd like to say yes but i i, I don't mm-hmm.
0: know you don't know for sure yeah i don't know for sure So you do a lot of them a lot of these dinners and just go on for a year or two
1: so i i transitioned the model after a bit after i recognized mm-hmm. that the way i was doing it originally wasn't sustainable yeah. so i was host- sorry what
0: was not sustainable by so,
1: it? Um, They were extremely um, Mm -hmm. detail-oriented, very elevated in terms of theme, concept, the brands we got on board, the entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, They were very, very luxurious. And so that, as a one-person team, Mm -hmm. was uh, working full-time was Mm -hmm. um, not a sustainable production for me to do often. And so... Um, I transitioned to a subscription model, Mm -hmm. whereas you as a real estate broker or real estate firm could buy a package of five events Mm -hmm. that were um, across wellness, art, a screening, a dinner. They weren't all dinners, which tends to be the most laborious. So um, I I hosted about uh, 10 different very fancy (laughs) Vivon dinners before I transitioned to a sort of a simpler, more subscription, guaranteed revenue model.
0: Yeah, and so... um some wellness event who would be attending that for example
1: well actually a wellness is very very on trend these days yes it is so, everyone
0: everyone's into it i'm yes. just thinking from the real estate broker's point of view what are you bringing uh, i mean the dinner i got that mm-hmm. wellness yeah everybody wants it but there's a lot of sources you can go to canyon ranch also
1: right but i think um the, the idea is for the broker they want bodies in their space they want people talking about their building. Mm-hmm. They want people seeing how beautiful it is. So those
0: events were in the building each time? Yes. Uh, that, that's the answer then. That's you, the answer, Because yeah. you're bringing people. It you're bringing bring people,
1: people. It's leads.
0: Yeah. Huh. So, uh, but at yeah, that time you weren't really focused on the analytics, as you were saying, but you could see how that would be like, wow, what a story to tell. It's a great exactly. story. And they say, and by the way, it led to X percentage of, you know, uh, serious offers. Right. You never know if anyone's going to buy or not, but it's serious offers, the name
1: yeah, if I think if I had been a more sophisticated entrepreneur when I was 22, that's exactly what I would have done. But, well, that's um, called learning. Okay, yeah, and, um, and, and
0: I'm sure you've got that one wired now. I'm trying. <laughs>
1: that's right.
0: So um, um, so you knew a lot of people yourself? Or you just kind of, like, how would you develop your own network of interesting people? Maybe there's a word of mouth that happens. somebody goes to one of these dinners and they start telling people, say, wow, that was cool, and then they want to know about it, the next one.
1: Yeah, Um, I think, you know, my first position in Neuhaus, I was sort of um, the gatekeeper of a Mm -hmm. a very, of of a community organization, so I was meeting maybe nine people, nine to 14 people a day, Um, and so that, I pulled a lot of um, interesting people Mm -hmm. from that community. Um, My job was sales, so I was out networking Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the time, to met people there, but I was really a big fan of the cold email. I'd read about someone, I'd say, I read about your work, please come to this dinner, and it worked. Really? Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, really, I, I got some amazing magazine editors to come, some re- really well-known social media. People you
0: didn't know at oh, all. Oh, I never met. And you I, emailed them.
1: I emailed them. I was like, this is what I'm doing, please come. Yeah.
0: Now, is that is that a testament to how good the idea was? I mean, that's one reason why. Maybe. But it's a, it is a bit of a... It's actually very encouraging, not for the magazine editors who are now going to get thousands of unsolicited emails about all sorts of things from people <laughs> oh, listening. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you had something that they wanted. See, this is the thing that's so interesting, is there's a real, there's a real need for this. You call it a sense of community. Yep. Even people that are very well connected in all kinds of different ways. I've, I've seen it many, uh, um, in many places. Uh, there's just something... Especially, maybe it's because of the world we're in, we're all constantly, you know, we're always digital, we're always running around, we always have our phones, we're always working, we're always traveling, and just to be able to sit with human beings, real people, eye eye to eye, talking about whatever you're going to talk about, is a scarce resource now. It never was, but it is now. And I think that that's, um, I mean, I could see how that's exciting. Um, And I know people that do something like that, not in the business, not in kind of the real estate side, but socially, mm-hmm. that they like to, I mean, we've done it ourselves, inviting interesting people we happen to meet that we barely know, and See, you have it's nice. 10 people <laughs> around the dinner table, and then the trick is, um, well, I don't know if you did, you did that or cared about it as much because you brought the people in, but for me, if I have, let's say, 10 people, uh, inevitably somebody talks to somebody next to them, that's normal, mm-hmm. if that happens, that's okay, but then you got to kind of manage the room so that there's one conversation at one point in time, which is really unusual and fun.
1: Um, I actually, as as I've grown in sort of hosting and, yes. and, and learned about what makes a good experience and a not-so-good and an experience, um, I um, have changed the way I've hosted. And I'm not sure if you've read Priya Parker's book, little shout-out for Priya. Uh, it's called The Art of Gathering, and it gives you very detailed structure on how to host a meaningful um, dinner, party, any type of event. Mm-hmm. And it, it's all about having conversation starters, ensuring right. that there are rules, mm-hmm. and that everything sort of works according to a time frame. Mm-hmm. And, and wow. I, I really believe in it. And now mm-hmm. I always use her framework.
0: You do? Always. Yeah. And, but it's intuitive to you. Once um, you once you read it, kind of say, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, but right. you didn't, it wasn't intuitive that you knew it before you started getting mm-hmm. into it.
1: But I, I think it's made my... Um, she likes to say it's upped my gathering game. So yeah, it's uh-huh. it's definitely improved the way I bring yeah. people together.
0: Very interesting. So uh, what what happened after Vivon? You you, you stepped away from that? Are you still involved with that? Or
1: so uh, now I will host a Vivon event if I get a really good offer from a real estate firm. Uh-huh. But um, it's not something I do regularly anymore. Yeah.
0: But people know in the real estate business. But now you said a lot of people are doing this, or some others are doing.
1: Mm-hmm. It. Um, but yes, I do. People reach out all the time. And so if, if it makes sense, I will post. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah
0: that's one of the beauties of uh, getting known a little bit. You, you name your price, and it's fine if they say no.
1: Exactly. It's outrageous like, okay. for people <laughs> that don't operate that way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want
0: to really say that no. uh, I do that because clients might be listening. But yep. there's stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if you think you're the best, then you have to um, manage yourself that way that's fine I think the best like the best anyways right <laughs> there's our arrogance moment in the podcast <laughs> <laughs> but I led that so you're safe okay um, so okay so what did you say you're doing um, you did after Vivon.
1: so um, after Vivon, I was uh, s- oh, simultaneously working for Neuhaus um, I then uh, joined Thor Equities which is a real estate development firm mm-hmm. specializing in retail mm-hmm. um, and that actually expanded Vivon to the retail space And so, rather than just residential, Vivon Mm -hmm. was now being hosted in Thor's sort of boutique spaces that Mm -hmm. were on the market. Actually, a lot here in meatpacking.
0: Spaces that, uh, restaurant space or any type of space, any uh, commercial space?
1: Actually, any commercial space, but mostly fashion boutiques that were Mm -hmm. empty and uh, looking to be rented. And so, we would draw... Mm -hmm people there and the pop up market was kind of emerging about three years ago yeah. and high fashion retailers would do a three month pop up and so this was almost a way of advertising for those pop ups.
0: And then we work especially for pop ups. hmm Yeah. Yeah. Why why do you think pop ups become such a big deal now? Uh, they didn't exist I don't know, five years ago, ten years ago for sure.
1: Yeah. And
0: now they're they're happening for everything.
1: I think it has to do with the experiential retail movement yes. and this idea that brick-and-mortar is um, antiquated and people want an experience and they want to be able to um, interact with the brand and a story mm-hmm. rather than just sort of the static display in a window. And so um, brands have to keep innovating and traveling and their mm-hmm. once sort of fancy store on Fifth Avenue is just not going cut it the, anymore.
0: Those are still there as kind of your...
1: Of course. Yeah. But... Um, I guess people consider them not as relatable anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so the so the pop, so there's a newness thing to the, what people are doing with pop-ups, why yeah. pop-ups are working. Yeah, I like the term. I, I think people can do it for many things in their lives. It's true. Right? Have you seen it, actually, just anywhere else, like, other than retail? Because, mm-hmm. I, I see, what I was thinking of is, I'm just I'm thinking about it in the context of how we live our lives and what we learn. And a pop-up could uh, be... Um, a deep dive in some subject you know nothing about for example
1: Oh, well, that's true
0: it could be about anything it's yeah. just what what is it it's a short-term immersion in something fascinating that's or well you said. try to make it fascinating um, and because learning is the most important criteria for success in anything nowadays a uh, long-term success yeah. yeah everyone should do their own pop-up
1: i really like i like the way you said that um yeah, I haven't seen it in other areas. Uh, actually, the pop-up restaurant is very popular right now, which I think is nuts um, because <laughs> um, it's an outrageous undertaking operationally and financially, but it's very popular. Um,
0: so this is like a celebrity chef or a chef from another uh, town, another exactly. city comes here. Exactly. Yeah, and they. Um, but those pop-ups, are. Uh, there's some that are just you know, chefs around for a week or two. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah.
1: Mhm. Um, There's coffee shop pop-ups. There's... Coffee shop pop-ups. Mm-hmm. How could that be? I mean. I mean, if you can do a restaurant, you can do a coffee yeah, shop. Yeah, it
0: just sounds like a strange thing. I mean, I there's know. so many coffee shops now. <laughs> Not enough, as far as I'm concerned, because
1: Well, though, there's the whole there's this movement of the coffee shop slash, uh, retail store and the coffee shop slash yes. cannabis. That's purveyor. starting now. Yeah, so it's mm-hmm. like the coffee shop slash.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a. Um, there's a woman who just bought the Dartmouth bookstore. I don't know if you I saw
1: that. I was so excited to see that. You
0: should reach out to, to she's her. She's
1: gonna host events too. She's I gonna saw. host events. That's I what you
0: remind me of. And I yeah. think she wants I, I'm not sure but I think she's gonna to wanna to get a liquor license and then yep. coffee shop and then hosting events, which in a college town hosting events seems like a no brainer. There should be men places. Oh definitely. Today. And they're all on campus, which is to say they're not actually cool. <laughs> <laughs> they're not they're they're basic and they're intellectual. So that's the name of the game. Without that you got nothing. But then to create the event the feel for it, kind of what you've done, um, some of what you've done, yeah, you can do this in a different in a different venue.
1: Yeah, I actually credit a lot of my um, experience to Dartmouth because I was uh, the formal chair for my sorority, um, mm-hmm. and so I had to host a lot of large events <laughs> and get I tried to get creative because we didn't have too many venues right. to use. Right. Um, right, But I was like, ah, oh, maybe this is where it all started. Right. Yeah.
0: Funny. Funny. Yeah. Uh, so let's take a break and sure. we'll come right back and sure. uh, talk to Jessica about um, more amazing things she's created we'll be right back <laughs> welcome back to the Sidcast this is Sid Finkelstein and we're talking with Jessica Wolf, and continuing on our life story and some pretty cool lessons for Millennials communities and others was there a big break in between where when, after Viva you're talking about you know working a little bit in real estate doing doing some of the, the the, the sharing the mm-hmm. uh, office sharing mm-hmm. was there anything big in between there
1: um i joined um i wouldn't say it's big but um i joined the point series team and we combined right. forces or a team of three as team of one and what they were mm-hmm. doing was the same thing i was doing yeah. in real estate but in restaurants and so you know one in five restaurants will make it in new york city in their first year and what we decided to do is as soon as a restaurant's about to open, we bring a group of influencers in for a mm-hmm, dinner. Mm-hmm. They gain exposure right away, mm-hmm. um, and it's almost like a restaurant marketing firm.
0: Are you still doing that?
1: Uh, yeah, I just actually hosted a dinner um, two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun.
0: Are you getting analytics on this one?
1: <laughs> yeah, in a way, yes, no. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes I am um, like, is this a business? Am I doing it because I love it? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: so, what is it called? On Point.
1: The Point Series. The
0: Point Series. Mm-hmm. And so who, these are three people that were doing this, and then yes. you were doing your thing. And
1: I was doing so my thing. So
0: they find you, and you found they,
1: them. They found me, mm-hmm. um, and we were almost mimic, mimicking each other's mm-hmm. model. I on the real estate side, and them on the restaurant side. Yeah. Um, and so we combined forces, and I continued to live on on my own, but mm-hmm. I joined... Uh, forces of them on the point series and um one of the partners Mm -hmm. will um owns a restaurant about three blocks away toro Mm -hmm. and so he had a lot of connections in the restaurant space um and so we were hosting um dinners small intimate dinners uh in comparison to the much larger dinners i was hosting in apartments um uh in these restaurants that either had not opened yet were about to open So it's very exciting wow and (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: so uh and so people find out about this restaurant in a way that they might not otherwise find out in different ways in any way
1: exactly yeah
0: yeah um so why um so you like doing these types of things kind of independent entrepreneurial let's call it uh marketing 3.0 i just made that up sure no it's good um, uh, as opposed to you know working in there's lots of advertising agencies Mm -hmm. there's lots of digital marketing firms I don't know lots but some really really great ones
1: definitely right
0: um, and I don't know whether they try to do any of this or they have a whole other they have, I mean they have a core digital marketing business right gigantic thing but what you're doing is is uh, it's deeply analog in a digital world Yeah. and, and I, that's what that's what I like about it um, but why why do you why are you going down this path
1: <laughs> it is very um, uh, hands-on it's very operationally um, tough, and right. for lack of a better word, yeah. um, it's very lucrative if you do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, so across all three of my businesses, make quite a lot of money. Um, so I think it's it's worth it for me, and I, I have models down across mm-hmm. you know Vivon now. Even though I've taken a step back a little bit, um, when I do engage with it, it it makes sense financially, and mm-hmm. the Point Series is a very um, sort of um simple model at this point so that we mm-hmm. can while it does seem operationally difficult from an outside mm-hmm. perspective and compared to what people are doing digitally yeah we have the model down yeah and, mm-hmm.
0: and so you can you can do it you, you can do it,
1: it we can roll it out and it's pretty seamlessly exactly
0: and so um but restaurants have money to pay that's the other thing maybe big time restaurants with well-known chefs that have a lot of backing i so guess. it's
1: actually restaurants don't pay us so, the restaurants will often give us uh, space and food for free. And mm-hmm. um, we have an alcohol like sponsor, that. and then we'll bring in other sponsors to sponsor the dinner. So, we make most of our money through sponsorships, and then you pay to attend the dinner.
0: And it, so, sponsorship is the primary source of revenue?
1: Sponsorship, and then call it ticket sales.
0: Ticket sales. And um, ticket sales, is exactly, isn't it interesting? I hate that term, but. Yeah, okay, yes. but now that you said it, as soon as you put a frame on something, this is true for what we're talking about, it's true for a lot of things, it completely changes in our brains how we think about it. Because you say ticket sales, I think Live Nation. And hmm. I think the music business. And then I think music business has totally fallen apart, except for Live Nation and live performances. Right. And I don't know, that could create all kinds of interesting opportunities, um, combining what you do in kind of more of a retail space, well, It's not the only thing we talk about, but uh, with other types of live events.
1: Yep. And I think brands are really looking to get back to that sort of high-touch, really personalized, Mm -hmm. intimate, authentic connection. Mm -hmm. And so um, more and more brands are keen to sponsor um, Mm. live events with the right demographic.
0: Yeah. Here's the thing, though. How do you scale these ideas?
1: Mm, good that, question. Because you
0: said, you know, you, even when you talk about the real estate thing, it yeah. was hard for you. It was a one-woman one, one woman show, and it was very detailed, a lot of work, and scale is where the real money is in, in the business. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, it's such a good question, and it's something I've grappled yeah. with yeah, <laughs> for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, in the community-based build- business, the, the key to scale is a membership model, which mm-hmm. is a subscription right. or a reoccurring revenue model. Right. Um, we were just at Soho House. They're the, right. the epitome yeah, good of, of the membership model, successful membership model. Um, so um, my partners and I at the Point Series, we were exploring moving to a membership model. Um, Vivon has, in a, in a way, moved to that because it's subscription-based. You buy a package of several yep. events. Yep. Um, but that is the best way to scale. And if you can create... I'd say two things. If you can create a, sort of a tech-integrated community that's both sort of an online and offline mm-hmm. experience, yeah. that you can scale. But if you can also instill self-organization, um, YPO is probably the best um, example of that. I'm not sure if you're familiar with I YPO. I know YPO, but
0: go sure. ahead.
1: What you so YPO is um, Young Presidents Organization. I actually sit on the board of the Young Next Generation YPOers. But what's so brilliant about YPO is that once you join the organization you're placed into a forum of 12 individuals that become your personal and professional executive board and you're trained on mm-hmm. unbiased listening, how to be a good advisor, but you are self after that you self organize. And so the organization hub doesn't have to do anything, but you're still paying your dues. And so if you can instill mm-hmm. a sense of investment mm-hmm. and worth in the individuals who are members, um, and not actually have to do and they much, don't
0: or your, your case for YPO, you can still talk to these people. You know them. Yeah. You don't technically have to be a member to talk to somebody. Exactly. But you still do.
1: But you still do. And there's a lot of other things they offer, of course. I mean, there's incredible networking opportunities and in, in, in larger events. But the forum, which is the meat of the program, mm-hmm. um, is self-organized. And it's just brilliant.
0: Yeah. And so that's something you think you can, you can do as one of the ways to scale it.
1: Um, that's something I'm working on right now at Forbes. Um, so I, I recently joined um, Forbes to lead the 30 under 30 listmaker community mm-hmm. and creating a sort of platform for greater connection and, and meaningful connection mm-hmm. with 30 under 30 list makers and also with the Forbes brand. And we'd like to institute an element of YPO's forum to create mm-hmm. um, sustainable sort of community.
0: And so you do all kinds of activities and events and same type of thing for that community yep, and that group. Correct. And, and would that be a model? I mean, not just starting it's like a new project for you. New project. So you could have sponsorships, same type of thing?
1: Ex- definitely.
0: Now, Forbes wants to do this, wants to support this, because they want their name in the, in the world of media to exist and to have something to say. And this is one of the ways to do it.
1: Definitely, and I think Forbes is, unlike any other sort of media company, created um, a platform for community. I mean, the 30... under the
0: blogger system, is that what you mean?
1: Certainly the blogger system, but the 30 under 30 list mm-hmm. that comes out every year yeah. is a group of sort of the youngest mm-hmm. disruptors across mm-hmm. 20 different categories. Mm-hmm. And bringing that group together and, and yeah. finding ways for them to support each other will only help emphasize and grow their businesses and yeah. better better the world, I hope.
0: So Forbes could be kind of like a, a platform for this. Exactly. Yeah. That's very interesting to think about old media figuring out a way to deal, deal with this. But they can't do it themselves, right? I mean, that's why they ask you and maybe others.
1: I think... Um, I mean, I don't
0: know if they could do it themselves because they're, they're not trained that way. I mean, I know many, many people at Forbes and great journalists. I've always been a fan, but they've struggled like everyone else has struggled because they have a business model that doesn't work anymore.
1: I think they're quite innovative. That's what I, I really admire that about Forbes. Mm-hmm. They have an incredible live event team. They have um, mm-hmm. contributing teams that, the, and um, they have. Um, I think become become very creative in their yeah. sort of revenue streams. Do you do you
0: think that there'll be a point of saturation on these live events?
1: Hope not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can't be it and be impossible. Yeah. And, um, if there, if you scale it successfully. Then it's possible to, to hit a saturation point. That's the kind of the catch-22. Mm. I mean, unless there's a, always, unless you can keep bringing in new people, because you're focused on new ideas, uh, new events, new activities, and new populations. But mm-hmm. I think if you can, I mean, the 30 under 30, is that what it's called? Yes. They have that in different categories, right?
1: Exactly, 20 yeah. different categories. 20? Mm-hmm.
0: Wow, that's smart. Right there, that's smart. Yes. That's how you leverage a basic idea. Yep. Is it all 30 under 30? Like, that's what it, what the category is? So it's, or the, the, the platform is?
1: Sure. So it's um, 30 individuals under 30 across 20 categories.
0: Yeah. How did they find you?
1: Um, I don't know. They just
0: paid attention.
1: <laughs> people like, doing stuff. How did they find me? Um, yeah, I... I'm that not... in
0: and of itself is very interesting because they are curating the, the decision makers, leaders, young leaders, whatever young or old doesn't matter In this case it's young they're curating that and how do, how do they do that the quality of that curation will determine how good this whole sort of thing works Right. so they did well they found you and maybe a lot of other interesting people but they got a, well. I imagine they would be using or tapping into that network they have created right. to keep identifying more
1: people so far I've been really impressed and I've really enjoyed meeting all the people on the list they've done a good job yeah it's
0: a little bit like a it makes me think of, you know, eBay in the earlier days. Why do you go to eBay in the first place? You have something to sell us where the buyers are and you have something to buy us where the sellers are. So huh. that's where you go. Yeah. So the thirty under thirty, why do you go there? Well they already created it and they keep leveraging it and growing it, at least trying to grow it much more dramatically I think, to come up with ways to really monetize it, uh, for for uh, Forbes. Um and that makes it harder for, say, Fortune to do that mm-hmm. or Wall Street Journal or somebody else.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I, what I've appreciated a lot about the Forbes brand is, yes, of course, they want to monetize like any business. But um, the team is really focused on um, bringing value to the under 30s mm-hmm. before they bring in money for themselves. And I think that's yeah. unique.
0: So when you were growing up, were you always kind of out there creating new stuff and being kind of... Focused on communication, marketing, uh, branding—the things that you're making your career in right now.
1: I don't know if I was, uh, but I did grow up a, in a very entrepreneurial family. Yeah. Both yeah. my parents are entrepreneurs, and mm-hmm. um, so I always knew that was an option for me. Right. Um, and I was encouraged. You were encouraged. Uh, very much
0: so. Did you start any businesses as a kid?
1: As <laughs> a kid, um, not really. I was the queen of bake sales, <laughs> um, but. No, I, I, I didn't start anything. At Dartmouth, I participated on the founding team of the Box food truck with um, Tuck students. You were in
0: the founding team of Box? Yes. You know I'm an investor.
1: Oh, no way. Yes, <laughs> I am. I'm sure I, I've I've uh, so looked funny. at all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yep, it's good. That was my senior year of college. Still,
0: it's still around. It's still I know. doing well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, although the model changed like it does for everything oh, else. Yeah, of all, course. Almost all catering is where the revenue is these yep. days. Um um, and you have siblings?
1: I do. I have three younger siblings.
0: Three younger ones? Yes. Wow. And they're, they're not in college yet? Um,
1: they, two, the two youngest are still in college, mm-hmm. and the one right below me is in grad school.
0: Okay. Yeah. And are they similar or different um, to you?
1: I think we're all pretty different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two, two ones in college are brilliant, but who knows what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Did you grow up in the, New in the Arkansas? I,
1: I did, on the Upper West Side.
0: In the Upper West Side?
1: Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, yeah, the Upper West Side is the greatest place, isn't it? Oh,
1: I love it. Yeah. I mean, that's where you live. That's
0: where I live some of the time, yes. Yeah, some uh, of
1: the time. I'm a, big, <laughs> I'm a
0: big fan. I went to Columbia a long time ago and uh, got to know the Upper West Side in those days. Uh, that was the Upper Upper West Side. Right. was quite as uh, friendly a place as it is today, let's say. It's a little tougher uh, because crime in New York City in the 1980s wasn't quite so wonderful. Um, I'm, I'm excited to be great. back
1: on campus. Yeah. on a campus.
0: <laughs> because you're at uh, Columbia.
1: Yes, at Columbia.
0: And, uh, I think you said this before, you're doing an executive MBA.
1: Yes, correct.
0: Can I ask you how old you are?
1: Sure, uh, 27. <laughs>
0: 27, executive <laughs> MBA. What is the world coming to
1: <laughs> <laughs> And I really fought for that. Did, I did. Did, it you, was did tough. you have a hard time with I d- that? They I didn't? did.
0: Because you were too young. Um, most people are 45, let's say.
1: Yes. Um, I was admitted to the full-time MBA and just recognized it didn't make sense if I was going to pursue a position with Forbes, and... Um, it was, I had to prove my, myself quite a bit to the Columbia admissions that I could huh. take on an um, uh, executive yep. MBA, but they were, in the end, very supportive and helpful, but it, it was something that they were like, you, you're very young. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. That's actually a very interesting model for Columbia or any business school to have yeah. an executive MBA because there's a certain profile mm-hmm. and it's great profile, but it's still a small profile. It's not nearly as big as it could be.
1: Right. Right. Yeah.
0: So, uh, okay, well, let's take another short break and okay. we'll come right back with Jessica. Okay. I'm back in my studio for a minute to tape a quick, uh, a quick commercial, but it's not really a commercial. It's, uh, it's about experience. Uh, we're talking about experiences a lot with Jessica today. And uh, I'm curious whether, uh, uh, whether this idea that uh, I've been talking about and that she's been living around the experience economy, Uh, is resonating with people as much as it resonates with me and and a bunch of people that I know. And so I'd love to hear from you if you want to share your point of view about the experience economy um, and maybe cut out the word economy that bugs you and say, you know, experience, li- experience lifestyle, uh, the types of vacations you like to take, the way you like to spend uh, time when you, have, uh, when you have free time. Uh, to what extent are you finding ways to incorporate experiences, interactions, networks, communities with other people uh, in ways that you find meaningful? And uh, maybe we'll share some of those in a subsequent episode of the Sitcast. Welcome back to the SITCAST, we're back with Jessica and now we go to a few things I really want to ask you about. Actually the first one is this Summit thing, what what is that, because you were involved with that for a couple of years too.
1: Yes, Uh, Summit is a global community of C-suite execs, entrepreneurs and investors and Summit is a platform for gathering predominantly through events. sort of a means of catalyzing whatever it is you're investing your time into whether that's work or your personal life and um, summit purchased a mountain um six years ago in utah built a town on top of it um, it's almost like a utopic community wow. it's beautiful up there um, and they host about three main events throughout the year downtown la tulum um, and then several on powder mountain in utah
0: tulum in mexico tulum mexico And these are three-day events, and there's presentations, conversations, activities. So
1: about four-day events, and you can think of it as a mix between TED and Burning Man. So Hmm. it has the speaker caliber of TED. We just had Jeff Bezos moderated by his brother Mark Bezos for the first time, Eckhart Tolle, Ray Dalio, uh, David Rubenstein, Esther Perel. And then it has this really um, almost woo-woo spiritual component holistic that's that focus on health and wellness and spirituality and authentic connection Mm -hmm. and and art and music and and the hope is that it it's almost like your best four days everything you could ever want to learn all the people you'd ever want to meet and all the things you'd ever want to discover about yourself so i'm acts as a platform for that right
0: yeah, it's again, it's a model I totally I totally. get. We created something called Tuck Summer Camp a few years ago. I heard about it. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, it, we, we did it as a little experiment, and uh, it was fantastic. We, we stopped doing it for a variety of reasons, okay. but it was, a, um, it was about four or five days, and people would come back, and not all of them were alumni, but some, sure. maybe half were, and you go canoeing down the Connecticut River, and you go to the organic food, uh, organic market, not market, but um, uh, farm and get a tour and then have a, a meal using only the food that was grown there by a, by a great chef. Sounds There'd sense. be lectures and discussions. There would be climate change. Uh, uh, there was a session between a professor in environmental studies, let's call it, and mm-hmm. a business school professor talking about the climate, right. climate change. I mean, just really fantastic. Um, people loved it. And I, I loved doing it also. So much fun. Yeah, it's interesting that people have such a need. Again, this is, like we were talking about before, right? There's a sense of community, of learning, doing it in different ways. So, how did this thing come up? There the, the, was it one founder that created.
1: So, um, there's about four founders mm-hmm. at Summit, but the original founders, Elliot Bisnow, about 10 years ago, he um, created Summit because he was sick of the traditional networking experiences, yeah, okay. and he wanted to find a way to bring people together. Uh, to support each other and learn from each other and really find sort of meaningful, thoughtful connection. Right. And right. so he started hosting in different places around the world and was getting incredible speakers involved and really um, like awesome startup founders. And then it mm-hmm. grew to incorporate people from different industries. And um, eventually they purchased the mountain and it grew and um, they built a name for themselves. Yeah. Right.
0: So it's still going strong. Very strong. Yeah. It sounds like a little bit like Renaissance Festival and which is kind of an earlier sure generation. No, yeah. And uh, Aspen a little bit. Yeah. Um, and a few other things. I think, what is it called in, uh, it came out of Stanford? Um, I'm trying to remember. Uh, synchronicity or something? Oh, Synchronicity, like, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a few of these things that are that, that have been around that I think are just really interesting. People want to learn differently.
1: Definitely. You know? um,
0: and so are there younger people that go to summit?
1: So... It's what I think is really unique about Summit is that you'll get this twenty-one-year-old genius that's created a new fertilizer company in India, and then mm-hmm. you have you know the media mogul who's in their seventies, and uh, so it's a variety of ages, and it's purposeful so that people can learn from each other. And yeah. um, I know that this is a focus on millennials, but it's not; it's mm-hmm. mostly not millennials actually. Um, the Summit's caliber—we um, look for people who are from a sort of psychographic perspective Mm -hmm. warm friendly curious Mm -hmm. passionate um, looking to meet other people um, genuinely care about their work in the world and then from a professional standpoint people who have perhaps started a company investing in companies um, have had a hand in building a company or seed suite and above so that is mostly not millennials (laughs)
0: okay now I ask you the question that I need an answer for okay millennials Sure. what is going on with millennials you know how many people ask me a version of that and then I have to give them my answer and what do I know what's your Um, answer uh, they they're not willing to uh, the best of them are not willing to pay their dues the way that baby boomers did they expect to have an opportunity and the best of them are going to blow it out of the park um because they're more skilled than we ever were um, when we started um, in our twenties. There's no comparison, obviously, in tech skills. See, I'm giving you the answer. You're clever. I need to know your answer.
1: Uh, have you read the sort of infamous burnout article? Mm-hmm. And did did you find that that resonated with anyone?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, burnout is a big is a big issue for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I, that's that's for sure. That's for sure. But um, I mean, how do, you, how do you look at it? Dude?
1: I guess that article really resonated mm-hmm. with me. Because I, for prior to reading that, had thought, you know, I work in a space where I'm an entrepreneur. I also work for a company that's extremely flexible. I can make my own schedule. Yep. I kind of do what I want. Mm-hmm. I have multiple revenue streams. My life is good. And then I read that article and I was like, do I ever take a moment for myself? <laughs> Never. Mm-hmm. Is there a moment where I'm not on my phone answering emails? No, I answer emails at 2 a.m. And so I was like well. Is that there a time where I feel comfortable like, just sitting yeah. with me? Right. I always bring my phone to a gym class, too. Mm-hmm. And so I, I started to realize, um, you know, perhaps it's not that um, we're, we're lazy or that, you know, we need flexibility. Or, mm-hmm. It's just that we're, we are working 24-7 and we've adapted mm-hmm. to this tech world that allows us to do that. And, mm-hmm. and because that we work from home and the office and on flights and from abroad, people think that we have this glamorous work lifestyle which is excellent i'm not saying we're not lucky i'm not saying we're not lucky but um i think it's maybe being misconstrued as um lazy in particular rather than actually
0: well why would why would this lazy interpretation come from oh i just described the opposite of lazy
1: so i'm saying that's what i think people are you know perhaps when we get that sort of backlash like millennials are that's a common thing like lazy they, they don't work hard enough
0: I hear this from the 40-somethings in my yeah. executive classes all the time.
1: You know, I beg to differ. You know, I think that article puts it better than I ever could. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's that millennials are working 24-7.
0: Yeah. When you have control over your life, over your career, over your job, if you're a high-aspiration person, you work like crazy. Yep. Um, that's, there's a big if in there. Not everybody is, and that's fine. Right. People decide how they want to live their lives. But modern society enabled us to, to do that. You know, the, the, the connection to kind of what I do is quite similar mm. for professors. Professors create their own jobs. We're entrepreneurs, which I didn't know when I started doing right. this. Because uh, we write, we teach, uh, we do research, we work with companies, we speak, We I do podcasts. Yeah. All, all kinds of things. Running your own business. And I get to decide when I do it and what I what I do. And the number of... Actual weeks of teaching in the classroom is not 52 weeks, which some people say, What do you mean? You're not teaching all the time. You can't be because you can't do all the other stuff. Right. But what it means is that for decades, you're always working. Yeah. You're, which is, you know, as long as you love it, it's good. But... I was about
1: to say, you know, I and I don't mean that, you know, I, I never take time for myself and I'm miserable. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm clearly loving it. Yeah, so, but yeah, yeah. I did put it into perspective. And now I am trying to um, incorporate, this right. is such a buzzword, but a little bit more self care. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I have a friend, a colleague, um, Giovanni, okay. uh, Professor Gavetti. Okay. A very, very smart guy, and uh, um, so I travel wherever I go, and I always, I'm always in touch through the phone, mm-hmm. with uh, email or mm-hmm. you know, text or whatever, um, and uh, and it just feels good. I could take if I want to take a week off here, I could do that, and I'm I'm still in touch. And he said to me once, you know. Uh, I've done the. He said, "I've done the same thing." But imagine what it would be like if you didn't do that. Just try it for three days, one day, six hours, <laughs> depending on. Just imagine. And you tell everyone that's going to happen. You make sure there's no emergencies that you know of. Things could always happen, because he said he he said to me, "You you kind of think that you have got it made, because you could stay in touch and still be free." Right. And he said, "You're you're you only have one brain." <laughs> and that brain and the soul of the, if you want to use that word, that's being used up, uh, not necessarily bad or good. It's just it is, and uh, I haven't followed his advice perfectly yet, uh, but I'm uh, getting closer. That's good. Yeah.
1: Good for you. I'm getting
0: closer. Um, sometimes you hear, uh, you, you hear people say millennials are entitled. They have a sense of entitlement. It must really annoy you.
1: I don't know. Um,
0: I mean, look again. Millennials, seventy plus million people, and we use one description for seventy million. It's ridiculous. Right. There's seventy million people within that group, each individual.
1: I don't know if I can speak to it. I, I feel like, having gone to Dartmouth, I'm so just privileged from that front already that perhaps I am entitled. I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to say I'm not, but other people are like, she is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, what is yeah. what is entitled? Mean, mean. Yeah. Really. I mean. Does it mean um, expecting other people to give you things? Right. If it means that, well, I don't think your career follow that path, but I, I, that would be bad if people sit there right. and expect to get stuff just right. because of who they are. That's a true sense of privilege. There are plenty of people like that, of course, but that that's not right. But I heard this, I mean, many people say, i, I had lunch with a group of students, um, well, I do it quite often, but one of these lunches, Casual lunch. I said, "When you want to talk about it, they want to talk about millennials." And one woman raised her hand and said, "I think you know we, meaning millennials, are have a sense of entitlement." And I was surprised to hear her say that. And she asked me what I thought. And I think there's variation in any yeah. in any group. Um, certainly, the people I've been around work like crazy um, and don't feel that same sense of entitlement. But when I talk to the forty-year-old, proverbial 40 year old so now I'm generalizing in the opposite direction. There, there's always a snicker about millennials, always. So they've hired young people, and they're finding it difficult oh. to manage them. So that's a puzzle, not a puzzle. That's a challenge. That's something that you and others, maybe me as well, where I sit, can really try to help millennials. That's uh,
1: interesting.
0: Um, you know, people that are middle to upper level management jobs. Because they haven't, again, I'm overgeneralized, but sure. they haven't figured it out.
1: I wonder if it's not entitlement, but it's like. Deep aspiration. Mm-hmm. I think it, I think millennials are, are really hopeful, yeah. and have have this idea that if they work really hard, they can almost achieve whatever they want, realistic yeah. or unrealistic. Yeah. And so perhaps you know it's hard to manage someone who yeah. this generation of people with such big dreams that have been told they can do all these things. You know. Right.
0: Um, no, that's that's true, and yeah. I think um, uh, millennials uh, don't like to be sold a bill of goods. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> does, but I think you your generation has much less, much less patience
1: mm-hmm. with
0: it. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when it comes well, from anyone, but when it comes from a company company says, you know, we believe in sustainability and environmental issues and this and that and then you get to work there and you discover you know what, they don't actually follow that on a day-to-day basis or a week-to-week basis. And that really really turns off people.
1: It's Kind of back to the beginning of our conversation about the sort of retail immersive experiences and pops-ups. It's mm-hmm. like that's a millennials want a more authentic and genuine way to relate to a brand rather than right. just looking at the website. They want to experience it and touch it and interact with it.
0: Really? So that's interesting because it's yeah. millennials use the web
1: yeah. more than anyone,
0: I would think. I don't know if that's true anymore, but it was true. But that, but that's not enough. Because they're so accustomed to it. Yeah. I'm making this up, but I think it makes sense. Yeah. So accustomed to it that that's kind of like penny ante. That's just, you know, that barely gets your foot in the door. you got to have right. something better.
1: Yeah, yeah. Exactly.
0: So, uh, Why don't you put your um, branding hat on for me now? Sure. So I got a podcast called The Sitcast. um, And we've been doing it for a short while. Sure. And it's been really fun. I love it. I hope other people (laughs) do. (laughs) Um, uh, And it might be fine if uh, a small number of people listen. Mm -hmm. Right now, actually, it's a pretty good audience. But I want millions of people to listen because I think the messages are great. I think what you've shared... Um, in your own way, uh, adds a lot of value to people in thinking about their lives, their careers. Maybe it's inspirational for someone who's in college, and thinking, "Wow, she's only 27. She's done this and this and this and this. I want that too." I think that's a great message uh, that people uh, people should learn from. So, um, what what should I do? How do I get how do I get millions of people to listen to this? That's um, yeah, a heavy sigh. That's a bad sign. No, no, it's a good
1: sign. <laughs> I, I actually, I usually go with the partnership route. So, thinking mm-hmm. about your focus right now on Dartmouth, because you're you're at Dartmouth and you have sure. the access to Dartmouth students. But what if this became almost like the, say, start in this realm, but like the Ivy League podcast? And you went mm-hmm. to different schools, and mm-hmm. you had the schools promote it, and then you have about seven different pools mm-hmm. of students you could promote to, mm-hmm. and to alumni and beyond. Um, that's a start, because if you can right. get other people promoting your podcast for you, right? that's
0: Okay, good. Way to partnering do it. with other people would find it. And the name of the game, it's got to be interesting. It's got to be useful. Oh, It's got to be somewhat entertaining. I don't think that's the main reason you listen to a podcast, at least this type. But you got to get something important out of it. So we got to have that, which, again, I think we do, but the, the audience will decide. Mm-hmm. Um, so partnering with other universities.
1: Uh, yeah. Perhaps um, bringing on big names that have followings of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Let's see. I don't want to give you any like basic tools you know how to do it yourself, like <laughs> promotions on Facebook and yes, all those, that. Yes,
0: those oh. are uh, those are easy things. Though. Yes,
1: exactly. But you
0: know, one of the premises of the of the sitcast, which makes what you said, but bringing bringing on very well known people, a little bit more challenging, but not impossible, is. People like CEOs, I have a big network of CEOs and I work with them, I've interviewed them, etc. They've been interviewed a lot. They know how to answer questions. And the thing that makes, I think, has made our conversation really interesting today and others is that you're, you're being yourself. You're just mm. kind of sharing who you are and what you think about whatever the topic is. And that sense of, uh, or degree of vulnerability is what mm-hmm. it really attracts people to a, a story. And people have been interviewed dozens or hundreds of times, uh, and have a lot to lose by displaying any degree of vulnerability. Are not necessarily the best guests. Now, I hope that I, I hope I'm going to be wrong about that because there will be some CEOs I'm going to bring on. Um,
1: well, vulnerability is cool these days. So yeah, there you remind go. Thank them you. of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I wonder if let's see. Could you require the individuals who are on your podcast to promote?
0: Well, require is not a good word uh, for me. Encourage. Encourage, definitely. <laughs> encourage. Yeah, and and they do.
1: They do, they okay. Do. Everyone
0: has their own. Their own uh, Have
1: you considered the live podcast?
0: Yeah, that's starting to catch on a little bit. It
1: is. Yeah. Perhaps like a, in an event format, where yeah. people come listen.
0: Right, right, right. That's, that's actually good, a Almost good idea. Almost like a book tour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty cool idea, actually. Yeah. Uh, that, some people have done that, and I could easily do that.
1: I can also ha- happily help you um, at different places that would likely want to host.
0: Host an event, a podcast event.
1: Yeah, of course. Depends on who, who you're speaking with, of and course. if it aligns with them. <laughs> but yeah, definitely.
0: Well, that's great. Thank you. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so you you've uh, you've uh, you've shown in the space of five minutes. That you could talk about, give advice about podcasts, even though...
1: <laughs> I don't know much about it, but about yeah. it. There's
0: a, Well, you know, the thing about, um, this is kind of the last thing I want to I mention, I have one last yeah. question for you, about experience. So experience is like a big thing people talk I've done a lot of research about how experience can actually hurt you, not just help you. In Silicon Valley, experience for a long time has been a negative. Uh, there's, there. I mean, some people say that there's uh, ageism, if that's the right word, you know. Mm. Discrimina- discrimination against people that are over 40 or 50. Um, and there's probably some truth to that. And you look at the biggest companies that have started, they're all young people that started. Whether it's Facebook or mm-hmm. Google. Um, I mean, Jeff Bezos is like one of the most senior people, and he was young, much younger, you know, when he started 20-plus uh, years ago. So... Um, um, so experience is kind of an interesting is an interesting thing, but then you know we're talking. I'm kind of saying, yeah, you, you gave me some good advice, and uh, you have deep deep experience in a particular area. Five years of experience, not 25 or 30, but you have the experience that's kind of the real world today. And so I'm thinking of that, but maybe that's kind of what what happens when you have experience of a certain type when it's 100% current. To what's going on because you could have tons of experience about something that it's not the way the world is anymore mm. and you might think that it still is it's one of the reasons by the way that um, um, senior executives and big companies when they come in to run they're brought in to run internet related or online companies or digital companies less so today than it used to be uh, they struggle a lot because their experience base is not based on the kind of the world that the world that they're thrown into so experience is an interesting thing but
1: it is I think a lot about it and I often feel like oh I don't have enough experience Um, and it's true frankly I don't I only have experience in one niche area and I've Mm -hmm. taught it to myself and that's why I'm going back to Columbia or going to Columbia back to school because I recognize where I'm lacking Mm -hmm. experience and Um, You'll hear every entrepreneur tell you, don't go to business school. Everyone that had started a company was like, you don't need to go. Don't go. It's a waste of two years. You already have the network. I was like, I'm not going for the network. Mm -hmm. I'm actually just going to learn how to do some basic finance. (laughs) Some basic stuff. That's
0: actually pretty useful. Pretty useful. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Um, So it's funny because all my entrepreneurial friends were like, wow, you don't need it. And I'm like, I I do need it. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, I'm a perfect candidate for it because I have the experience so like the really grassroots experience that I can now pair with structured, um, sort of organized education.
0: Right. right. And, you know, uh, anytime you open a door for learning, it's a great thing because you don't know what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. You don't know
0: who you're going to meet. You don't know what you're going to learn. You're, I mean, you can learn finance. Yeah. But who knows who's going to show up there. Totally. And, and what kind of connection you might make with, you know, a professor that wants to do something interesting or, or alums or... Certainly classmates. Yeah. Yeah. It's that discovery that's kind of what you do that, yeah. So I think you're, I, I mean, I totally get the entrepreneurial thing. Why do you need it? You've done well. Sure. But um, if your goal is learning. Yep. Uh, and ultimately at least a lot of really, really good things. Yeah. But learning in and of itself is plenty good.
1: Yeah. I think it's the experience I need. I yeah. think yeah. I have one facet of experience. <laughs> yeah. So
0: one last uh, question. Speaking about your experience and your um Your knowledge. Uh, I'm gonna send you back all of six years. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Uh, And imagine you're uh, sitting next to 21-year-old Jessica. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, what? I mean, what would you tell her? What? What? What advice? What piece of advice would you give her that um, you kind of wish you knew then that uh, that you know now?
1: I think the mistakes that I've made, I wouldn't undo with any advice. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think they've all aided in my learning process yep. um, sometimes I'll reflect back and say you should have gone out more in college or you should have spent more time with friends instead of um, working and <laughs> upon reflection sure that would have been fun mm-hmm. but I don't think I would change anything and I don't know what advice I'd give myself I'd probably say keep staying stressed because <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That, that stress has uh, paid off
0: yeah it, yeah I mean, it, because it gives you that, that edge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very interesting because I've asked that asked that question to a lot of people. And often it's a common a- answer is something like the process of getting there is so powerful, so enjoyable uh, that you don't want to go so fast that you forget that. And, right. and you don't experience it. It's, it's a mindfulness answer, sure. actually. Sure, Which I think makes, as soon as you use the word mindfulness and you put it in this context, I think you can see it's, oh. it's something you don't you don't want to. You don't want to forget. But you know, a lot True. of people. I can't say I was always mindful, as I kind of went 100 miles an hour all the time. Uh, but there's there's the, 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 there's something to that lesson. That's
1: really good advice. Perhaps I would say that be mindful and appreciate all the good, bad, and ugly as you yeah. go through it, because.
0: And it doesn't mean you take your foot off the accelerator. Right, right. You could do both.
1: Appreciate it. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, you gave me the advice that I give myself.
0: <laughs> okay, well you go back and you you tell her uh, all right. right next all time right. You, you're chatting. Uh, Jessica Wolf, thanks so much for being on the sitcast.
1: Thank you.